Gary DePaul with Unlabeled Leadership. Welcome to episode 69, Mark Clark Perceives Using Positive Intent. Here's a shout out to listeners from Lombardy, Italy, Romania, Lima, Peru, and Gauteng, South Africa. With that, let's get started. Recruiting isn't easy. Sometimes it's like finding a needle in the haystack. But Mark, he's a capable needle finder. When he worked at Lowe's, he built and managed an impressive internship program that actually changed the lives of students for the better. As part of his role, Mark honors the military service professionals by finding them rewarding employment, specifically working with that population. I've known Mark for a good while now, and I know that he has extensive experience partnering with business professionals to meet their staffing needs. What else is there to know about Mark? He's an Indiana native, lives in North Carolina, and he's, well, passionate about recruiting and linking people with their purpose. He's a dad, papa, cyclist, believer, and his motto, which should not be a surprise by the end of this episode, is assume positive intent. Part one, commit to making positive assumptions. In my books, I write about seven leadership principles that I found during my research on when I was studying leadership. And of those principles, the very first one is believe in others. This has become a motif, a theme of this show. In this story, Mark explains this believe in others principle using uh, different words. And I think he brings some perspective in explaining what this principle means. Here's Mark with the story. One of the things that has had a huge impact on me probably over the last 10 to 15 years of my career, I was actually, when I was at Lowe's managing their college recruiting program, we were supporting an organization called SIFE, which was Students in Free Enterprise. And we were actually one of the, the national conferences that we were at. One of the uh, the speakers that they they had was the, the CEO and chairman of PepsiCo, Indra Noyi. During her leadership talk, one of the things that she shared that that has resonated with me, I've shared with a lot of people, shared with all of our kids, is assume positive intent. Mm. And you may have heard that repeated by some other people, but um, this was something that Indra had been taught by her father. We encounter people throughout our career, throughout our day. And I think it comes down to, you know, and I think, you know, really what this means when you're saying assume positive intent, another way of it is, you know, you know, don't judge somebody based on what they're doing. If you don't assume positive intent, you know, you're going to be trying to second guess what somebody is doing or are their intentions good. Assuming positive intent is, is really a good leadership principle also. You know, if we're hiring good people, um, if we're hiring people that we trust and we and they have been trained well, then when they are carrying out their work, um, when they're carrying out their their duties, or or even you know doing doing new things, we may sometimes question their motives. But if we assume positive intent, you know, we're going to give them really the the freedom to to work up to their their level of competence and, and oftentimes explore new things that they might not have gotten into, you know, had we put some constraints on on the things that they were doing. 
I've had executives tell me that when someone's in the organization, they take this neutral stance where they're they're not assuming good intent or bad intent. I think that's a, a real disservice that you've gone through the recruiting process, you've hired someone, even if it's not someone you recruited, if it's just someone that is on your team, if you're part of a nonprofit where there are volunteers involved, assuming positive intent takes you so far and it eliminates some stories that you would make in your head about what's going on when you see a particular behavior. But the common one is in an automobile, you're driving, someone cuts in front of you, swerves, and you think, oh man, story goes in the head. This person is a terrible driver, or this person is drunk, or this person is just vicious and just rude. Those are stories we make up that have nothing to do with, may have nothing to do with reality. It could be a bee flew in the car or they have a loved one at the hospital and they're not thinking clearly. I think I would take what you're saying and consciously try to, if I have to come up with a story, come up with one that's positive, that gives the person the benefit of the doubt. And when you, you know, you flip that around and, you know, in society in this day and age, you know, we, we're all prone to sometimes making too quick of judgments. And the flip side of assuming positive intent is, you know, assuming negative intent or, yeah. or trying to figure out why somebody is doing something. And, and when you do that, we find that we we walk around angry or annoyed. And if we can let go of that anger and, and assume positive intent, you're able to really open up your mind to kind of really figure out what a situation is to, to listen better and just probably end up at a better outcome. I like what you're saying is it frees you up of walking around annoyed and angry. Ironically, is you may be upset about something that did not happen, you know, just because we make assumptions about people. So let's go for the positive and assume good intent. And I think as a leader, um, if we're managing people, if we're managing a team in this day and age where, you know, many teams may be remote, you know, many teams may be short staffed, it's very easy to, to kind of flip that around and not assume positive intent. But if we do assume the positive intent, then I think we can get to the bottom of the situation and we're trusting people, you know, allowing them to live up the, to their potential. There will be times that when we assume positive intent that people will let us down. I mean, it will happen. Mm -hmm. But I think more times than not, we're going to enable people to do better things by assuming positive intent, giving them the benefit of the doubt than if we if we do the flip side. It's much better to be wrong about the positive intent than to be wrong a lot about the negative intent. I think you're onto something. As our, our three children have grown and gone through some of the, the challenges of college and graduating and getting out into the work life, I have shared that advice with them, you know, whether they're interviewing, whether, you know, they've started a new job and some things may not be clicking with it with a new boss. And, and, and I think at least two of the three have come back to me and said, you know what, that, that was really good advice. And it was validated by, you know, what happens down the road when you do assume positive intent. So it, it's not just a leadership trait. It's one of those life lessons that, that I think even if we're an individual contributor or we're a parent or we're a neighbor or a, a team member of somebody that, you know, can really allow for positive work relationships in, in whatever that work looks like. Part two, orders from above. If you're in management, you don't just speak for yourself. 
You also speak for your team, your department, your organization. And sometimes by doing that, you have to make decisions and even act in ways that you disagree with. And when I say disagree, I don't mean in the ethical sense. It's just, it's not what you would do or you would choose to do. But sometimes you just have to do what is expected of you. Mark shares a story that falls into this area that I'm describing. Here's Mark to explain the situation. So early on in my uh, my recruiting career, I was doing some sales and marketing recruiting, um, and I was working for a, a large telecommunications at the time company at the time. And I was uh, given the resume of a candidate. It just happened to be the uh, the fiance of the daughter of one of our executive staff. I was told to uh, interview this person and find them an internship. I had a good conversation with this candidate, went back to my boss and said, hey, we had a good conversation, but there's really not a fit for this individual with any of the internships that we have open. My boss at the time, you know, someone I have a lot of respect for, and I learned a lot from her uh, during my time. She kind of sat down and, and said to me, well, you know what? It's really not about that. In this particular case, we have been asked to do this by our, our C-suite. It's not about whether or not this is the best candidate for a particular role, but we need to find a role for this person. I walked out of her office after that discussion and took a little while for, for that to sink in. Many times throughout my career, I have flipped back to that moment in that discussion, especially when I've had conversations with younger team members where people might not understand, especially I think in a larger corporation where we will be asked to do things that we may not necessarily agree with. Yeah. Oftentimes there's a larger purpose or there's a, a larger scope of uh, what that this really fits into. And, and it can be frustrating, I think, again, especially if someone is trying to do the right thing. And I think as long as we're, we're not crossing that line of integrity or we're not breaking any rules or any company policies, it is a good lesson for a lot of people because we will be asked to do things for various reasons throughout our career that we won't agree with, but they have come down from above, you know, something that needs to be done for any number of reasons. Even though that was a painful and frustrating lesson for me at the time, you know, I have often quoted uh, my boss to other colleagues and it may not hold as much power as it did for me at the time, but you know, just kind of sharing that story with them and, and saying, well, you know, we, we may not choose to do this or this might not be our choice, but sometimes we're asked to do things that we don't agree with and, and we're still expected to carry through and, and do them in the best way that we can. I think that last part that you just said is so crucial where we do it as best we can. I would even say that if we were asked to do something and for whatever reason, we're not privy to why, or even if we know why, and we'd still disagree with it, it's crucial for us to own that task and do everything we can to complete it so that there's the best possible outcome. Absolutely. And I think a good leader will sometimes, and most of the time, I think will put a situation into context in terms of, well, this is why this needs to be done this way, or this is why we're, or we have to complete this, or this is why we have to go this direction. And 
I think that makes a lot more sense for an individual if they know why they're doing something, just as opposed to someone being told, you need to do this, question me. Yeah. Just putting it in the proper context, I think, can help somebody work through a situation like that where, you know, at first they, they may not understand why they're having to go that direction or why they're having to do something that doesn't seem right at the time. Yeah, the worst is when a manager of people has to go back to the team and say, we have to do whatever. If the the delivery could be poorly done where it's, well, upper management is making us do this thing and I know it doesn't make sense and I don't want to do, you know, if there's a temptation of especially less experienced managers to put the onus on someone else so they, they don't seem like the bad guy who has to implement this policy or this decision. Rather, you should embrace it and own it as if it's your own decision and provide an explanation, you know, as it makes sense. And I think that particular situation was not unique to that company, was not unique to that executive. As I mentioned, I have seen situations similar to that repeated at many other fine organizations, Mm. but it is a good lesson. We're not always going to agree with things that we're asked to do, but in those situations, if we can put them into context, we know why they need to be completed. We can still, you know, maybe going back, you know, assume positive intent and do it and carry it to its completion. And then sometimes down the road, you know, in this particular you know situation, you know, the intern actually ended up doing a good job. You know, we sometimes don't know what that outcome will be of a, of a particular situation until we get further down the road. Part three, communicate how you lead in a cover letter. At some point in your career, someone's going to ask you to review their resume, their curriculum vita CV, and would like your feedback. When this happens, you may be asked about cover letters. Should I have one? Should I include one? And if I did, what would I say? For me, I think the cover letter is an opportunity for you to explain how you lead and explain why you want the position. Mark explains some things about job searching that we should consider, and he gives us some advice about cover letters. Here's Mark. Having been involved in recruiting for a good part of my career, I've had, I'll say, career discussions with a lot of family and, and friends. I always tell people when when you're looking for a new job or you're looking for a new role, it can be very frustrating. It can be a frustrating time. It can be a frustrating situation. But you have to kind of put yourself in that hiring manager seat. You know, you have to put yourself on the other side of that desk when you're sending a resume, you know, when you're applying to a particular job online and, and take the time, you know, in some situations, make a customized resume. Most people don't do cover letters or cover emails anymore. You know, sometimes that added time that you might take to send a note along with a resume can make all the difference in finding a role. Right now, we're, even though we're experiencing some shortages in the workforce um, because, you know, some people are, are not going back to work, in most situations when you apply for a job, Think about the larger picture where you know you you know you may get rejected. You think, oh, I thought I was a perfect candidate for that job. There may be 15 people out there that are better qualified than you. Um, you just need to be persistent. You know, you need to be professional. And I think you know normally when when people do that and and they then follow up, they will end up having good results, and I think eventually end up in that job that is really right for them. Let me ask you something actually about writing the cover letter. 
From your perspective, is that something that managers really pay a lot of attention to? Does it, I guess, does it vary by the hiring manager? I think it varies a lot, Gary, by the, the hiring manager. And, and it, a lot of it has to do with the recruiter also. You know, I think in most situations, people talk about, well, no one even looks at the resumes. It's, they're all reviewed by technology, which in most situations, that is not the case. In most situations, an applicant tracking system online may help rank candidates by looking for keywords or key experiences. But in most situations, a live person, the recruiter, is going to review that resume and cover letter first. If a company says, you know, no cover letter involved or, you know, no cover letter needed, then, you know, in that situation, you may not have the time or you may not want to take extra effort to add that. But there have been situations, you know, when I have been a recruiter, when I've been reviewing candidates to present to a hiring manager, if you have a well-written cover letter, and it doesn't have to be a book, I mean, it can be two or three paragraphs expanding on some of the things listed on the resume, indicating your availability, indicating why you're willing to relocate, kind of explaining what your personal situation is, that cover letter may not get read all the time. If the right recruiter reads it, it is something that can help differentiate one candidate from another. And you may not always use the same cover letter for every application or the same cover letter for every company to, to which you apply. You know, how long does it take to write a really good three or four paragraph cover letter? Probably maybe 25, 30 minutes at the most. And isn't that worth it if that gives you, you know, a leg up on every other candidate that applies for a job? It's not going to be looked at all the time, but if it gives you a competitive advantage in getting in front of the right recruiter or the hiring manager, you know, I think it's, it's worthwhile. My thanks to Mark Clark. If you'd like to learn more about Mark, go to the show notes. And if you have a question or a comment, go to unlabeledleadership.com, click the message icon, and you can leave a voicemail message uh, for up to one minute. I'd like to thank those who contribute to the show. Your contributions help offset some of the production costs, which means a lot because this is a volunteer-led service. And I'd like to thank you for listening. Until next time, lead on.